Hello and welcome to Reflections. I'm Rome Gaioso, your host. Today, our topic is space. As we prepare to join the launch of the Artemis rocket, we will literally going on a trip to outer space with journalist, book author, and space extraordinaire, Leonard David. So first and foremost, thank you so much for your being here with me and my guest today. I know your time is very important and I'm the guy who makes sure it is invested wisely. So I have been waiting for quite some time to interview Leonard David. His life work is dedicated to space and he knows better than anyone else our journey so far, and I could not think of anyone more adequate to hold today's talks. Remember, if you're watching the show via Futures Television, the home of the future on television, or is listening to the show via Radio Futures, the wave of the future on radio, you too can be part of the conversation. Please join us in our YouTube channel, that is IMCI Magazine, where we continue to chat about the topic of the day. So um, let's get going. Uh, I want to say a few words about my guest today. And so that, uh, of course, he's very well known in the industry, but I want to introduce you to him. So it's Leonard David. He's a space journalist reporting on space activities for over 50 years. He's the author of the book Moon Rush, The New Space Race, published by the National Geographic. He's also the author of Mars, Our Future on the Red Planet. He's the author of Inside Outer Space, the most authoritative blog on anything space. You can find it on www.leonarddavid.com. We will be talking about all matters of space as we eagerly await the Artemis Lounge. Well, without further ado, let's welcome Leonard to the show. How are you doing today, Leonard? Good. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate all that intro. You know, <laughs> you get older and you forget things that you've done. <laughs> it's a good reminder of things. Uh, I appreciate it. Well, it was a very short intro. If I had to literally go over <laughs> your entire resume, it would consume about half an hour of, of saying things and this and this and the other. So I had, I had okay. to shorten it by, by quite a bit. It's okay. All right, so uh, let's get started. So the interview today, folks, is going to be divided into sections or blocks. On the first block, we'll talk about where have we been on the trip to the past. We'll be talking about important milestones in space exploration. On the second block, we'll talk about where we are today and what are the current affairs, what are we worrying about, and what we think. On the third block, we will talk about the future. So going forward, what are the key trends and Leonard's views on future developments? Finally, we will close with Leonard's thoughts, ideas, guidance, and final thoughts. Okay, so let's get going. And of course, uh, in this block, the, the first block, we're embarking on a trip to the past. So Leonard, I want to fire the first question, okay? So uh, it all started with the Sputnik. So what's the significance of that first flight? Well, uh, first of all, we didn't know what satellites were about. I mean, uh, you know, when you think about the former Soviet Union uh, launching 
basically a 184 pound uh, spacecraft with some antennas on it. And I was lucky enough living in Texas at the time to actually see, uh, probably not Sputnik itself, but the booster that put it up. Uh, the booster that put it up stayed up a little longer, uh, uh, you know, and so I saw that. And that was the first experience of looking up and seeing what somebody called an artificial satellite. And uh, the meaningfulness of that launch uh, to me was really, uh, you know, it's corny, but it's historic. Obviously, it's the first uh, uh, artificial satellite to orbit the Earth. Now you can go out every night, and I was just out last night looking at satellites going by. It's not, it's not a, uh, you know, unique uh, event to look up and see spacecraft going overhead, all kinds of spacecraft. But Sputnik 1 was really uh, a diplomatic coup for the Soviet, former Soviet Union. And, you know, frankly, in the U.S., people wanted to know, did it have a bomb in it? Because, you know, the Cold War was, you know, kind of, you know pretty heavy. And what, what does this light going overhead mean? And so interpreting all that, and meanwhile, you got beep, 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 beep. People are talking about the beeps and uh, what they were finding out about outer space. And uh, it was a heady moment for me. And uh, it certainly galvanized, uh, even though I was very fascinated about astronomy and, and stars and planets, when you saw an artificial world go overhead, it, it really uh, locked me in solid. Well, yes, of course, that was during the, the Cold War. So I'm pretty sure people are very unnerved to see something flying way, way, way out there and, and yeah. for the first time in history, right? Yeah, I, 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 and I do, I mean, the headlines in the newspapers that you had access to, and again, this is, we're talking pre-internet now. <laughs> you got to remember, we didn't have the internet all the time, <laughs> forever. And so... What I got out of it was some worrisome things from Washington, D.C. Eisenhower was the president. How is he going to respond to the Sputnik? Uh, what, where was our space program? Why don't we have a satellite up there? What's going on? These were all uh, questions that, you know, and one of the things that I've got as I get older uh, that uh, strikes me is context of the times hmm. we forget about the context of the times because we've moved on we're in the 21st century now that happened in the 20th century of sputnik and uh, we were you know as always a you know a planet that's paranoid uh we we have so many things going on even today that sort of mimic uh, Sputnik. We have Sputnik events all the time. And I keep an eye on China because I think that is very similar to what uh, I went through as a kid of a Sputnik event. Uh, China is going to galvanize their space program. And uh, I think we're going to be a little uh, taken aback unless we get going. 
and we'll, I'm sure we're going to be talking about that later. But uh, yeah, we will. No, but no, it's important that you're noting those things and the similarities. And I think context is important. So we were not the first on, right. on a satellite business, but we were the first on the moon. So your thoughts on the lunar landing? Let me go back one step. You got to remember, Sorry. after Sputnik flew, we tried to launch our first satellite, Vanguard, and it blew up on the launch pad. This was in December of that year, and it failed. And we we were really looking inward as are we capable of even mimicking what the Soviet Union was doing? So Vanguard failure was another uh, big problem, and and von Braun and some of the American uh, uh, rocket scientists had 90 days to get a satellite up into into space. They did it with Explorer One, but anyway, it was again context of the times it was a space race and i'm sorry i, I missed the question there so uh so we were not the first on the satellite business but we were the first to land on the moon so your thoughts on the lunar landing well you know i tell you uh the lunar landing is uh, you know to be you know kind of you know just general uh, obviously it's a historic moment but the lead up to the apollo landing to get uh people up in space understand rendezvous and docking understand how to um uh, uh, you know uh become really a spacefaring civilization <laughs> in those early days was really key there was multiple steps mercury one person sitting john glenn and the mercury uh, astronauts sitting in a capsule by themselves to, to two-person gemini spacecraft and then you move into the apollo era of three people in a, in a spacecraft so you know living through the uh technology development of space flight to get to the lunar landing was amazing i mean there was so much uh that we got to know and, and again the soviets were also uh doing their thing they were launching astronauts for longer missions and they were trying to understand rendezvous and uh you know how, how to bring uh, spacecraft together but anyway at the end of the day you know uh nasa uh we had i don't know what the number was i can't remember hundreds of thousands of people working on the apollo program and John Kennedy, the president, saying we're going to land a person on the moon and bring him back safely, a person. You got to remember, we didn't even know what we were doing back then. You know, could they? NASA itself was newly formed right after Sputnik, and they they weren't even sure how to pull off something as audacious as a moon landing. So. Um, you know, my my thinking is back then is it was all a uh, you know uh, roll of dice. You know, can we do this? Uh, are we going to do it before the Soviets? And Kennedy himself, people don't remember, but Kennedy himself met Khrushchev, the Soviet Union president, and talked about cooperating. Could we jointly do something on the moon? And uh, Basically, the Khrushchev said, yet uh, they were going on their own path. 
And uh, so NASA went on its path and the Soviet Union went on its path. And uh, meanwhile, we won. Uh, whatever the space race was, whatever it meant to people around the globe, uh, NASA and the American uh, technological machinery of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of companies that had to ramp up their capability to pull off the first human landing on the moon. I mean, it's just uh, it spectacular for its time. So uh, we think about the space as uh, the grandeur and the exploration and, and the accomplishments and the magnificence of that and all that we did to get there. But it wasn't everything, you know, happy and fun. So I wanted to change subjects a little bit and ask you, what's your most vivid memory of the Columbia shuttle? The Columbia disaster, you know, the, sh the space shuttle, when the space shuttle got going, uh, you know, it was, a, you know, a, kind of a dream come true of human spaceflight under wing power and coming back, landing on a runway. And, you know, for, a, and we're still getting there. It, it, it's like airline-like operation. That was always the going in uh, slogan that, that we all sucked up and bought into. The shuttle represented some kind of normalcy of human spaceflight. And, you know, you get, you know, I was fortunate enough to go into quite a number of, uh, or several shuttles and you, you're in the cockpit and, you know, it's, it, it, it's an amazing array <laughs> of devices that these pilots had to run. And, uh, you know, the shuttle flew for quite a while, but Columbia, you know, we got, it's hard to talk about it now because it was a sad day and uh you know and i'm not even sure today in my view we don't understand yet why that failed uh, there are some really uh, uh issues that i i am actually trying to do some research on about why columbia failed and uh, and re-entry and breaking up um and you got to remember prior to that was challenger where you have the school teacher on there and that went awry right after launch with an o-ring on a one of the side rockets the uh solid rocket booster and uh you know so airline like operation i don't want to get on an airplane and and worry about uh, the engines blowing up and and uh you know coming into a LaGuardia and being out of control. And that's where we were with Columbia. It was an awful experience and seven people, some of which I, you know, I, I kind of knew through interviews or something. It, it was just catastrophic. And uh, again, I, I think, you know, th there are stories there that have not been uh, revealed about how we mucked that up, uh, letting that, that, a spaceship come in uh, when we knew there was a, a an issue with a wing and and uh, uh, you know a missing tile, uh, so it was all uh, vulnerable. And uh, when you go back to the quote unquote airline lock operation, that's not where you want to be. Yeah, most certainly not. 
So let's change the uh, the block, and now we're going to talk about today. So uh, more specifically, you know, I'm thinking about the Artemis program, of course, right? So after a very, very long time, we're finally taking steps to go back to the moon. So what's the importance of the Artemis launch? Well, we're, here we are. And, you know, I wish I was younger because, you know, uh, I feel like we're back where I was, you know, a long time ago of watching the Saturn V program evolve and the Apollo program and the Mercury, Gemini and Apollo. And here we are. We're sitting here. August 29th is still the date that they're uh, shooting for to launch the most powerful rocket uh, in the world uh, to hurl the Orion spacecraft out beyond the moon and come screaming back this is uh, nobody's on board except for some mannequins <laughs> there, there's some mannequins on on board the uh, uh, uh the, the spacecraft they're going to be monitoring radiation and uh other things so it's, it's pretty exciting times and i again i wish i was younger to see where this is going to go but this is an amazing uh first step uh, I will say you've got to add on to the Artemis program, uh, the space launch system, the, the, the booster itself has been a contentious uh, argument in the uh, space circles, you know, as far as uh, some people call it the Senate launch system. It's a jobs program. It, it's a booster that shouldn't be built, it, it, blah, 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 and it goes on and on. And there's a lot of experts on all sides. Um, so we're going to see how well this uh, uh, SLS, Space Launch System, works. And uh, I'm not holding my breath on a takeoff on exactly the, uh, the 29th. Anybody that's ever gone down to a launch down there on the first time, I was there for the first shuttle launch, and it got delayed. So my guess is we'll have some, uh, we'll, we'll probably have some uh, problems or issues and, and weather or whatever it's going to be. Uh, but, you know, uh, seeing that thing depart is, is just going to be awe-inspiring for a lot of people that worked so hard on this uh, launch system. Wonderful. But this is uh, just the, the first shot. We're going to shoot a rocket out into space. Uh, but in terms of the entire program, so what are you expecting to see? Are, are we going to be back to the moon sometime soon? I, I am uh, really optimistic because I think one of the other uh, avenues that NASA has taken uh, has been to embrace the private sector uh, companies who have evolved over the last several decades. Uh, groups like SpaceX, uh, Jeff Bezos and his uh, Blue Origin, uh, you know, there's multitudes of uh, private sector uh, companies now that engage with NASA to get us back to the moon uh, robotically and with human capability. So I'm, I'm really optimistic that, you know, and then you toss in uh, the China card. Uh, China is definitely headed to the moon with humans. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that they have a program that they've already blueprinted out and they're building the launch vehicles themselves to do their own lunar uh, landing 
Uh, and not only the, it's, it's it, it, a little thing you got to watch for here. People go, well, landing on the moon. Well, you know, it's not landing on the moon anymore. It's going to be uh, survive and thrive on the moon. How do we do that? How do we create a permanent capability to, to uh, be on the moon? And that's where everybody's headed. And you're going to need infrastructure. You're going to need power supplies. Uh, NASA just a couple of days ago announced 13 candidate landing sites for the Artemis 3 uh, vehicle. This is the, the Artemis 1 is getting ready to take off with nobody on it. Uh, then you have Artemis 2 with a uh, crew. But Artemis 3 is really going to be setting the stage for uh, uh, potentially for the U.S., a long-term uh, you know, uh, invite and, and, and stay there and, and build up a permanent uh, lunar facility. And same with China. Yes, I wanted to go back to that specific point you, point you made and talk about the role of China in space exploration. So they're investing quite heavily. They're creating their own, uh, you know, space station, uh, and they have their their lunar program as well. So um, um, unlike NASA, where it discloses its plans and what we want to do twenty five years from now, we don't yeah. really know much. So can we be surprised? And they say next week. I mean, I, I'm joking, but perhaps. You know, uh, within cert certain amount of period, within our reality of time, saying, well, next month, we're landing on the moon, something like, you know, the old Soviet Union would have done. We're launching a new rocket. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, the last thing I wrote here just a few days ago, the uh, uh, one, uh, several of their, you, you got to really, you know, it's not like a NASA PR machine over there. So you got to dodge around different websites and, try to glue together what the story is. And the story, as far as I can tell, is they're headed toward 2030 timeframe. Uh, they got to develop their Long March uh, rocket series, uh, heavy lifter. And, uh, you know, uh, but on the other hand, they've got, uh, they're, you know, kind of showcasing a lot of capability in a pretty fast paced, uh, you know, timeframe. And like you mentioned, the space station is up there. Uh, they're building that. Uh, you know, by the end of the year, they hope to have the entire station uh, built. It's not a, it's not the international space station and the size and scale of it, but it's it's their thing, and they're gonna milk that diplomatically to embrace other countries to use their facility. So you know. Um, you know, frankly, in the, in the end game, as more space stations up there, the better. It's like early, you know, we only have one Sputnik, and then all of a sudden there's a thousands of satellites launched. So uh, then you have the private sector looking at uh, private space stations. So, you know, it's a great time to be fascinated. It's gonna. It's a great time to be confused. Uh, about where all this is really going to head. Are we going to do cooperation? Uh, is the military going to take over a, a huge chunk of this? Not only the U.S., but uh, Russia and China military activities. So, uh, it, you know, it, it's a scene to watch. That's for sure. 
Great. So uh, on that note, let's let's change topics. So we've been in the past, we've been in the present. Now let's talk about the future. So I wanted to hear specifically your views about the use of space. So do you think the the trend is going to be commercialization of space, or the dominant trend will be militarization of space? I think you know one of the corny lines that you know I've used, and one of the things that does. Uh, kind of vibrate with people is you have back in 1967, the Outer Space Treaty of the United Nations, where we had limited, you know, Soviet and American activity in space. And that was the, uh, that's the foundation of the peaceful uses of outer space. Where we are today are the useful pieces of outer space. And it turns out that everybody has a vision of what that means to them, economic, military. Uh, it can be uh, some other, uh, you know, uh, mining. Uh, you know, are we going to get in a conflict on the moon? Everybody's he headed toward the South Pole it, it, of the moon. And, you know, the countries that are, are, are kind of in the forefront is, is the U.S. and China. And, uh, you know, how crowded is that, is that going to get down there? And because the resources of the moon, which we still don't really appreciate yet, and we're going to get there in the next year or so, we're going to understand a lot more about resources on the moon. How do you create resources to sustain a human presence on that body? And um, so we're, we're going to see, I think we got... I think the lawyers are already into this. this. We have space lawyers, and you know there's problems coming when you got lawyers already in there. Uh, so, um, you know, that's going to be uh, interesting to uh, see how this uh, farms out. Now, everybody is not going to be successful at the moon. Uh, you know, we have private missions that are going to go. China's got some plans. U.S. has plans. I do think we're going to have more craters on the moon that we created ourselves by trying to land there. So I'm not, I'm not saying it's all a slam dunk, but it's uh, it, uh, the moon is certainly uh, uh, in the vision of the future that is a stepping stone to uh, uh, going beyond the moon and particularly Mars. Yes, I wanted to uh, remain on that that you just said. So in terms of use of the moon specifically, so not just space, but the moon. So do you think of the moon as, is this just a stepping stone on our way to Mars? Is this going to be like a huge mine? We're going to dig everything we can. Uh, so it's, or we're going to build a military base out there, or, you know, you think it's going to be condo development. We're going to sell condos <laughs> on the moon. So yeah. what, what do you think is the future or of our future use of the moon in that aspect? Well, I, I, it's, it, it can be all of the above. I mean, what you just said. I mean, I, I see uh, great potential. And, I, you know, one of the problems you have with the moon, people think, well, we sent people in 1969 to 1972, we sent, you know, 12 astronauts walked on the moon. And obviously they must know everything about the moon. So it's not a... You know, it's it, it's already, you know, we know everything. And that's not the issue. Uh, the moon is not a been there, done that world. 
And we're gonna find surprises that the moon has. It's gonna tell us more about the origin of the earth, uh, the origin of the moon itself, which we're not quite sure how it got there. Um, and it is a testing ground. It's gonna be, if you can't get a leg up on the moon, you're not gonna get a leg up on Mars in my mind. Uh, you got to use technology to survive on a, a lunar uh, environment, and that will always give us some uh, practice for moving on to uh, Mars in particular. Um, so the, the one issue that I have, uh, again, and this is just me, uh, the military activities at the moon, uh, we have a whole proliferation of thoughts about how uh, we got to keep an eye on everybody. You know, the U.S. got to keep an eye on China. China's got to keep an eye on the U.S. Uh, what kind of dominance are we going to have in the cis-lunar space, the space between the Earth and the moon? And uh, is that going to be a strategic uh, uh, operation up there, much like where we got ourselves into air, land, sea, polar, Everything down here, it's starting to look a little um, uh, troublesome to me uh, that we were just we we're seeing an evolution of military uh, prowess in that area where you know when you start talking about the peaceful uses of outer space and and uh, you, you do get back to this uh, useful pieces of outer space problem. So perhaps in, in a sense, we're going back to where we started with the Sputnik. Will they have a bomb on the moon? Will they have some kind of a weapon, a laser, a cannon? I don't know. <laughs> so uh, that may be, uh, we'll be, we're going to go back to the past and worry about, you know, maybe not just Russia, but China and others. And what, uh, what are they doing there that we don't know and et cetera. Now, so uh, the moon is our first step. In, into another world, basically. So how will be similar or different from Mars? So uh, is Mars much further away from the moon, right? So I don't know if you can throw a rocket from Mars uh, back to the moon or, or vice versa. But do you, do you foresee that the exploration of Mars will be different from the exploration from the moon? Or do you, do you think they're going to be similar? What are your thoughts on Mars exploration? I really, um, back to the basics of getting our legs underneath us, space legs. And I think the moon is, is going to be a, a trial by fire. And, you know, we're going to have to learn how to live on that world. And that'll give us some experience that we can uh, take to uh, the red planet. And uh, Mars is a different, uh, you know, world in the sense that, uh, I'm going to say, you know, the, the, the search for life on Mars has been going on for decades and decades. I'm not even sure we haven't found it on Mars and we just didn't identify it correctly. But uh, uh, so you have that draw of life on Mars. And are we the, going to be the life on Mars? So, uh, uh, you know, Mars, you know, I, I guess in the big scheme of things, Mars, you know, it's it's there to do, and it's going to be tough to do, and but I think it once again, like the moon, it'll give us some uh, aperture opening uh, to other worlds, and particularly asteroids, uh, 
in the uh, between Mars and Jupiter. Maybe Mars will become, you know, one-stop shopping for asteroid material because you can have greater access to that that asteroid belt. But then we are already seeing right now interstellar uh, probes. I mean, Pioneer and Voyager, robotic craft. There are some new thinking, new uh, thoughts about uh, uh, interstellar travel. And uh, not really new, but I mean, it's new with the capability of sending a spacecraft out there. Meanwhile, this are we alone question, you know, I don't think that's really the question. It's how crowded is it? That's coming and we're right on the cusp of learning more about uh, you know whether or not uh, uh, we are alone it's almost a fallacy question because I think we're, we're going to find out all kinds of permutations about life in the universe and and what a quest that is and this James Webb Space Telescope that is up now and operating at you know, uh, amazing capability, but there are other uh, telescopes, space-based and down here on Earth, that are getting upgraded. And we're going to, this is a great decade coming of learning about this, uh, you know, quiet <laughs> side of our, our planet and how, uh, you know, we may be on the other end of visit visitors or, you know, uh, you know, or we learn more about uh, exoplanets and, and uh, civilizations elsewhere. Great time. So hopefully, well, we, we don't do a very good job at communicating down here on Earth. So I hope <laughs> yeah. when we, we run into somebody else, we don't shoot them at them first. We say, hey, hello, how are you? Yeah, well, that has the paranoid planet approach. Uh, you know, we're probably on the cusp of something with these unidentified aerial phenomenon. Uh, it's not clear to me where we're headed on this topic, but uh, the, the government is looking into it now with real study money, and NASA is just about ready to unleash their study group. Uh, all the people are going to be on that. So, you know, I don't know if we're on the other end of extraterrestrial visitations. Uh, my guess is maybe <laughs> we'll see, but uh, it's all going to be part of the fabric of uh, being wowed, and that that is why I love this stuff. It's just being wowed. I guess we'll probably, or most certainly, will be wowed by you know the next thing we encounter or the next being we encounter, and, and hopefully we'll be able you know to make friends out there. Yeah. So uh, let's move to the final block of our interview. And I just wanted to uh, go back to one kind of question. So uh, Moon Rush, your latest book. Can you tell us a little bit about the book and what inspired you to write the book? Well, I got inspired because National Geographic asked me to write. <laughs> you know, you, when you have an opportunity to write, you know, and particularly books, I won't, I won't recommend it for the lighthearted. It's a tough road to hoe when you write a book. Uh, articles, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of constantly putting out articles, but uh, when you get into a book, you know, you got to frame it. You've got to try to uh, come up with something different. And you know, the, the issue I had with Moonrush was, 
it was going to come out in the uh, 50th anniversary of the Apollo moon landing. And my immediate reaction to National Geographic, I don't want to write another Apollo book. I want to take a look into the future. What is it we're going to get out of this thing that we see going across the sky all the time? Uh, is it an Antarctic base kind of situation? Is it like the South and North Pole uh, here on Earth where you have international uh, you know, activities? What is it going to be? And then I think the thing that I found fascinating is that when I started talking to people about where did the moon come from, I mean, you know, you'd think we'd have this down. I'm, don't. I'm, yeah, I'm like everybody, you know, we sent 12 people there. Don't we know where it came from? No, not really. It's a mystery. What is, how did that, did it, it just last week, there were more papers about it definitely came from the earth somehow. Oh, that's uh, an impactor and it got thrown out there. Well, you know, okay, that's been debated. Uh, so it's fascinating to try to sort this out. Our own celestial neighbor in our own neighborhood we're not quite sure how it got there that that to me is just uh, amazing and uh, uh more light to be thrown from the moon down to earth about how it got there so well, I, and I wrote that book to, to kind of educate myself about the moon uh, but then you when you get you you can't help but get not get trapped into the apollo um, you know, missions, but I tried to, in the book, I tried to talk about what we learned really by the people on the moon. And, you know, the moon is a nasty place. I mean, it, we had toxicity level of lunar dust. Uh, we had astronauts have problems that when they got back in their lunar lander, uh, breathing in dust. And, uh, now, uh, with this new uh, resurgence of uh, lunar interest, uh, there are major programs going on about how to contain the dust, how do you operate on the moon, uh, how do you drive on the moon. I mean, so Apollo was the foundation for uh, progress, but uh, we got we got some on-the-job training to do on the moon before we get this under control. And uh, my guess is we're going to have a bunch of surprises. And that's exciting. Good. Well, well, that was just one book. Let's talk about the other. So Mars, <laughs> a future on the red planet. So you do indeed see us there as, as people, like a, a place to live, a place to be, a place to visit. What is our future on the red planet? What inspired you to write that book? Well, again, uh, National Geographic asked me to uh, work with the people that were making a television series on Mars exploration. So I tried to integrate the book with the TV series, and that was a very interesting uh, activity, and we worked it. But uh, I was trying to get across uh, some, frankly, ethics about Mars exploration. Uh, the search for life on the planet, do you bring back Mars microbes into Earth's atmosphere, uh, there's a lot of chat about, ooh, let's just make Mars, you know, Earth 101 or something, and and, tr tr 
terraform it or transform it into a a planet that is of our liking and i try to bounce between a bunch of scientists and discuss that issue of how does mars fit into our future and do we change it do we change ourselves or can we become martians through some uh biological mechanisms that we might be able to survive mars uh but then you still have the just the sheer uh beauty of that planet it's a kind of a every day i go to uh on uh, the perseverance rover and curiosity uh, rover uh, websites this morning i posted a story and it used all the pictures that came in last night and i'm on mars every morning i'm there and you know they're moving around the rover is moving the robots are doing their thing china's got a rover on on mars um we're getting to know that planet very well and once again there are some surprises there that we're just on the edge i think of finding out and it has to do with the the life question on that planet did it where did it evolve did it die is it in, uh, deep underground where is that life i'm convinced we probably have already found evidence of life but you know it's one of those you got to get all the scientists to agree <laughs> you know everybody's gonna get, get on the same page and uh yeah anyway yeah, there, there's some really new things coming out of perseverance at jezero crater that indicate uh it may have detected uh, microbial life we'll see Okay, so folks, you just heard. Uh, so if you want to go to Mars today, uh, head to www.leonarddavid.com and you can see the latest pictures and hear the latest stories. So don't forget to visit the website. Now, you know, you are certainly one of the gurus for space exploration. So I wanted to ask you your thoughts and your advice and your ideas that you would like to share with space fanatics everywhere. Yeah, the space fanatics. Um, you deserve to be a fanatic because it's so exciting to be on the cusp of so much new exploration. Europa, Jupiter. I mean, there are so many space. We're about ready to knock into an asteroid to see if we can deflect it somehow. Uh, the DART mission, NASA's uh, activities. But when you look at the global uh, space community out there it is truly global and there's more nations now have capability to uh, put into space uh, important missions and then you have on top of all this uh, the evolving cubesat community which is very small spacecraft for very low cost compared to the past and what those spacecraft may uh, open up uh, the solar system so it's a great time uh you know and i think for the uh aficionados out there you know you you got to be prepared for success but also be prepared for failure there's going to be uh, things that happen uh, it could be loss of life the space station could be hit by a piece of space debris and take out everybody on the damn thing uh, who knows um so uh but you know all this ca capability and activity going on 
by multiple nations. What a time, what a, what a, a space program to be proud of on a global basis. And uh, just an amazing amount of activity right now. Well, uh, thank you so very much. Uh, it has been a wonderful talk with you today. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to all of us about the space and your views and where we're going to go next. Yeah. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> you know, so folks, we're just scratching the surface again. The site is www.leonarddavid.com. Go visit the site. There is a wonderful blog in there, pictures, stories. You know what? You're going to love the site. I, I, I do love the site. The site is very beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing it and putting it all, all out there for everybody to see. It's fun. <laughs> okay, so let's say a few words about the upcoming events. So uh, next show will be Environmental Health with Douglas Mulhall. Then uh, I'm going to have Jerome Glenn. He's going to talk to us about the state of the future. Then we're going to continue on the topics you want to hear more. Technology, the metaverse, sustainability. And of course, there's a series of upcoming events from the Institute of Competitive Intelligence and Frost and Sullivan. So a lot of stuff for us to talk about. And by the way, feel free to continue to submit your comments and questions on our YouTube page. I'll make sure to read it and present it to the guest, Leonard David. And so if any other questions you may have, please uh, continue to submit them. If you're listening to us via podcast or watching the show as a recording via Futures Television, you can also be part of the conversation. Again, just visit our YouTube channel and leave a comment. Please don't forget to share and like this video. And please do subscribe to our channel. I'm counting on you. So it's time for us to start uh, to say our goodbyes. Again, I wanted to thank you so much for your presence, your participation in the show today. You can always reach out to the magazine or to me, the host, via Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. And I really hope to see you soon. And now I'm going to leave you with our institutional message. See you next time.